you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. This morning, the thing that I like about it, by giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great. Because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't know, you don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics in physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace. Soul generated by love. You can be that servant. This clip is from one of my favorite sermons uh, by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It's uh, called the Drum Major Instinct Sermon. And I love these lines in particular as a part of this sermon because of the way that he spells out what it means to be great. I think it's a message that he's preaching that's just as important today as it was 60 years ago, just as important as it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus was first giving it. And what I love about Dr. King's emphasis throughout this message is that anybody can be great. There's not uh, some kind of special knowledge base that is necessary in order to be great. There's not some kind of special skill set that you have to have in order to be great. You don't have to have a big social media platform to be great. You don't have to be on TV to be great. You don't have to have a big bank account in order to be great. But greatness begins with serving. Now, sometimes we might think, well, you know, I mean, that's, that's nice, but I'm, I'm not really even trying to be great. That's not really on my radar. I'm just trying to be. Sometimes life itself is challenging enough just to be without being great. But, but I think there's a, a message within what King, Dr. King is saying, with what, within what Jesus said, that's important for all of us, regardless of our aspirations to greatness. And, and the first reason uh, is I think that the culture uh, has an influence on our intentions throughout life so much that it, it causes us to direct our, ourself, our, our energy, uh, to direct our awareness uh, so much within what we are doing. It's made us so hyper-individualized that we are striving and stressing, uh, even if our focus isn't for greatness, because it's so focused on ourselves. From the time that we start life as a child, we are force-fed these messages that aren't so much focused on being the best version of yourself you can be, but just make sure that you're better than the person who's next to you. All right, and we find ourselves in this constant state of judging ourselves based on the people around us. And we've become so focused on ourselves, on our own success, that we live with at least what I would call the being chased by a bear philosophy. Uh, perhaps you're familiar with it, right? If you're in a group and there's a bear that's chasing you, you don't have to be the fastest person. You just have to be faster than the slowest person. Uh, and if you're not faster than them, then you just have to trip them, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I think throughout life, we can, 
we can go so much with this mindset and the way that we approach life that we are focused so much on not being eaten that we are tripping up the people around us just so that they're a little bit slower, just so that we can get a little bit of head. And, and we see this reality lived out around us from whether it's getting in line at the grocery store and who's going to get into the line first, or if you're taking too much time in the aisle, you know, this get out of my way kind of mentality to, to even within our places of work, to driving down the road, whether it's 41 or 75 or heaven forbid you hop on I-4. It's, it's startling to us when somebody does something that's kind because it's not the norm. It's unexpected. When somebody does something that is sacrificial, that benefits another person. It becomes something that catches our attention because it's so not the norm of what we experience in our day-to-day lives. It's not what's normal. And so this message on, on greatness and its link to service is important. One, because it, it pushes us to think outside of ourselves, to begin thinking in another direction. The second reason why this focus on greatness is important is because I believe that God calls us to be great. God calls us, creates us, designs us to be great in the way that he has gifted us and the ways in which he has skilled us. With, with what God has placed in our path, he calls us to be great with it, just not in the way the world defines greatness. We're called to be great not in comparison to others, but to be great for the sake of others. So I'm going to invite us to hear what Jesus says this morning Our scripture reading is from Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 35 through 45. I'll invite you to open your Bibles with me there. Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 45. Jesus has been traveling around with his disciples, and Jesus has done a lot of great things. He's healed a lot of people. People, Crowds have been gathering as he's teaching. He's fed the 5,000. He's he's taking in those who are disconnected and lost those who are outcast and so people are gathering around there's a great buzz about jesus and about what he's going to be so his disciples are with him and a couple of them james and john they approach him in verse 35 it says james and john the sons of zebedee come forward to jesus and say to him teacher we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you and jesus says to them well what is it that you want me to do for you and they say to him Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus says to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. And Jesus says to them, Well, the cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared." When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them, and he said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. I find it fascinating how this 
passage begins with James and John approaching Jesus and and they essentially say, hey, Jesus, can you do uh, anything that we ask of you? Now, as a parent, I know that's a loaded question, right? You're going to ask something that I probably should say no to. The reason why you're asking me first is because this is some kind of trap. You're trying to bait me into something. And this is what James and John, I think, are doing. Jesus, would you do whatever we ask of you? And Jesus, he's wise to this fact. And so he, he, he responds and says, well, just tell me what it is. What, what do you want me to do? And James and John, they make this big ask. Well, can we sit on your right and left side when you come into your glory? And, and now what James and John are asking for is, is not a question about, hey, Jesus, whenever you get to heaven, can we be in heaven with you? Whenever you get up there, can we sit in heaven alongside of you and all of your greatness? No, what they're asking, what they are uh, hoping for is that when Jesus becomes king, when all of this great buzz that's going on around him elevates him to the status where he's in, in a place of ruling, whenever he's sitting on the palace in Jerusalem or even when his kingdom grows because he can raise people from the dead, he can feed an army, I mean, he can heal whatever wounds they have. I mean, think of all the possibilities here, right? But whenever he ascends to the throne and he's sitting on the, the, uh, in the palace in Rome, hey, Jesus... Whenever you make it to the big time, can we sit next to you? Can I be in that position of authority alongside of you? Can I be that second in command so that when you're standing up there at the press conference, my face is in the shot too? Uh, Can I be in that position where just for a little bit of extra funds, I can give somebody access to you and, and that'll make me a lot richer in the process as well? Hey, Jesus, whenever you come into your glory, uh, can I be in that spot so that if something happens to you that maybe, you know, like the vice president, I'm the next one who's in line. Jesus hears their uh, ambition, their aspiration, and he tries to adjust the conversation. He, he begins to redirect them. And he says, well, you know, this isn't all that it's cracked up to be. There's going to be some struggle, some hardship that lies ahead, right? Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Can you be baptized in the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? It's, it's not going to be just all easy. It's not going to be just all miraculous all the time. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be trials. You're going to go through the tough times. Can you do this? They say, oh, yes, Lord. You know, we'll, we'll follow with you throughout the struggles, we can handle it. And Jesus says, yeah, you know what? You are going to go through that. Now, he knows something they don't know at this point in time, that the struggles that they're going to go through are not what they're thinking. But Jesus says, yeah, you are going to do that. Then he says, these roles are not for you. This is not uh, the position that, that you are supposed to have. It's not for me to appoint. And that seemingly would end the conversation right there. You know, they've asked the question, Jesus tells them, no, the story's over. But the rest of the disciples hear about it. The other ten disciples hear what James and John are asking, and they are pretty upset, right? I mean, think about kind of, you know, the, the office politics of this, or, the, or maybe it's the HOA politics, the person who's working kind of behind the scene to elevate themselves, to get in that position of influence. You know, I think of it maybe it's like that... Um, Maybe this is just my world, but the parent who's trying to slip a 20 to the coach so that their kid could get in the position that they want him to, right? So uh, how do I get in this system? And so the rest of the disciples are upset about it, or maybe they're just upset because James and John ask it first, 
right? Like they all want that same thing. They just didn't have enough within them to ask for it. So they're upset and Jesus senses this tension between them. So he calls them all together for a teaching moment. And it's important to note that when Jesus calls them together, Jesus doesn't get on to them for wanting to be great. He never says anything bad about them desiring for greatness. He never says there's a problem with doing great things. He doesn't, take, he doesn't even take issue with the question that James and John ask. While the other disciples are probably hoping that, that Jesus is going to publicly scold them, that he's going to place them at the back of the line, Jesus doesn't even really address it at all. I think this is probably why Dr. King says, you know what, hey, if you want to be important, that's wonderful. If you want to be great, that's wonderful. If you want to be recognized, that's wonderful. Because there is this recognition, I think, that Jesus has, that Dr. King realizes as well, what, what Dr. King calls the drum major instinct, this thing that perhaps God has even placed within us that gives us a desire to be noticed. Right? There's this desire within us to be recognized, to be praised. There's a saying that the person's favorite thing to hear is their own name. That's why they say in politics that any press is good press. It's why when children aren't getting attention, they'll resort to doing wrong things to get attention because they desire, they crave that attention so much. And we're just like that as well as adults. Dr. King says in his sermon, he says, we all like attention. We all like to be praised, especially for doing something good. He says that nobody is unhappy when they are praised, even if they know they don't deserve it, even if they don't believe it. The only unhappy people about praise is when that praise is going too much towards somebody else. So Jesus, you know, he, he's talking with James and John, and he never tells them, hey, you guys are out of your place. Jesus never tells them, hey, you guys are being too selfish. Why would you even raise such a question? Instead, Jesus takes the situation that's in front of him, and he begins to transform it by offering a new, a different definition of greatness. He says, you know, hey, you see how those who are in power lord it over others? How they use their power for their own benefit? You, you see how those Washington elites like to take advantage of their positions of greatness to pad their own wallets without consideration of others? Right? I mean, it's like Jesus is singing, rich men north of Richmond. He says, that's not what greatness looks like in my kingdom. And the way that the world is supposed to work, the way that I created it to work, greatness doesn't come from climbing over others. It doesn't come from putting yourself first. It doesn't come from being sure that you're taking care of yourself. Instead, whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. Jesus is saying in God's kingdom, uh, the race to the top looks more like a race to the bottom. And it's not racing to the bottom because of a lack of effort. It's not racing to the bottom because you don't take the time to develop your talents or your skills or your abilities. It's not a race to the bottom because you let other people walk over you. Instead, it's greatness that comes by maximizing whatever God has given you and using it in service to others. Greatness in the kingdom of God is about giving your all not in service to yourself, but in service to others. Greatness 
is to use your abilities, your talents, your time, your treasures, not for success or a good life at the expense of others, but so that through humbly serving others can have and experience life. And then Jesus says, it's like, and I'm not, I'm not just asking you guys to do this. I'm not just saying that this would be a good thing. It's like, this is what I came for. I'm going to model this with my life. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, in Jesus' life, we, we see this model of service. We see a life that is filled with service. As Jesus goes around the Galilee region and he's healing people, he's doing things for the sake of of others, as he's miraculously feeding 5,000, as he's gathering people around them and making sure they have their basic needs met, he is serving them. As uh, Jesus is recognizing those who've been discounted and left behind by society, as he's giving attention to them, as he's calling them by their name, letting them know that they are seen, that they are welcome within his kingdom, Jesus is doing this not for his own sake, but for their sake. See, there's times whenever uh, the crowds would gather around and they would see all these great things that Jesus is doing and they would say, hey, Jesus, it's time for you to become king. It's, it's time for us to put you in that position so that you can take over, so that you can lead. And Jesus just kind of slips out the back door and walks away. And every time that the crowds begin to grow and grow and grow and the buzz begins to swirl around them, Jesus goes away to a lonely place so that he could spend time in prayer. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, it says, about Jesus, that though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. With all the power in the world, Jesus could have built armies. He could have amassed great sums of wealth. I mean, if he could take a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread and feed 5,000, I mean, he's going to put a lot of bakeries out of business. He could have amassed all the wealth in the world. He could have created an empire that would rival and surpass the greatest empires this world has ever known. But instead, Jesus gives his life as a ransom for many. This gift from Jesus, this act of service, this giving of himself, it, it becomes for us the greatest gift that we could ever receive. And giving his life as a ransom for many, he's He's not only modeling a way for us to live in the kingdom of God, but he's making the way for us to be in the kingdom of God. Way back when I was in high school, uh, and I was just figuring out how to drive, uh, there, I got into a little fender bender one day. Uh, I was parked on a hill, which is probably the first mistake, uh, and there was a car in front of me, and there was a car behind me. And I was in a little bit of a hurry, I think I was probably a little bit even anxious about how I was parked and how I was going to get out. Somebody pulled in, you know, after I did. And so now I'm like, okay, what do I do? Uh, and so in my haste and in my anxiety, I put the car in reverse. They kind of need to back up before I can pull out. And I'm on a hill and it's, I put the car in reverse. I hit the gas a little bit and it just shoots back <laughs> right into the car that's behind me. And, and as I get out of the car, like all I could think is, please don't call the police please don't call the police. Like, I don't, I don't need the points on my license. I don't need the fine. I don't know what's going on. I don't need to do this. But 
And, and the person whose car I hit, they, they're not too far away. They see what takes place, and they're coming over, and they're a little bit upset. Somebody needs to pay for this. Somebody has to pay. When you looked at the damage that was done to their car, he was right. Somebody, somebody needed to pay for it. If things were to be put right, if there was going to be a resolution to the situation, somebody was going to have to pay. If there was going to be a restoration, it would have to be the payment of a price. See, what the Bible tells us is that our sin comes at a price. Our sin demands that justice is served and therefore sin must be punished, that there's a price that must be exacted. That every little lie, every little selfish act, everything that's harmed another person, every time we've served ourselves at the expense of somebody else, every sin we've ever committed has created a debt. In Romans 6, 23, it says that the wages of sin is death. It means that the payment that our sin has earned us is death. Death not only in this life, but death through eternal separation from God. For justice to be served, for things to be put right, somebody has to pay. The good news of Jesus, the good news of his life that is laid down in service to others, his life that is given as a ransom for many, is that that price has been paid. Through his life, his death, and his resurrection, Jesus has paid that ransom. He has paid that debt. On the, on the cross, God's righteous judgment upon sin is served, and Jesus bears the punishment that our sins deserve. Jesus has paid our debt. His life given as a ransom for many is a gift that's been given for you, a gift that's been given for me. What he asks of us is that we receive that gift, to, to give up following our own self-seeking ways, our own attempts to save ourselves, and to follow him instead. If you're here this morning and you've never received that gift of grace and salvation, I'm going to invite you to take that step of faith today, to say yes to Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. If you've You've never been in that place where you've said, you know what, yes, I put, my, I put my hope, I put my trust in his grace. I'm going to give up seeking my own ways and I'm going to seek and follow him instead because he laid down his life for me. I want to invite you to say a prayer with me. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and perhaps at one point in time in life you had said yes to Jesus, but then life got busy. Maybe the world's call to greatness led you to serve yourself. Maybe it was just self-preservation and you figured you had to make it on your own. But you began to walk in your own path instead of following God's. Today's the day to recommit yourself to Jesus. To follow Him as Savior and Lord. To follow in the life that He invites us to lead. One that's lived in service to others. And so I'm going to invite all of us as a church uh, to say a prayer together. As we bow our heads and close our eyes, I'm going to invite you to just repeat after me as a church as we all join in this prayer. We say, Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to be the ransom for me. I know that I am a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. 
And so I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. So fill me with your Holy Spirit and transform my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.